0: going to be probably this Lord's Day and then one more sermon in John's Gospel before finishing it, and uh, please uh, be in prayer for the continued preaching through various books of the Bible. I haven't decided yet, but um, we are at least in John chapter 21 verse 15 to verse 19 today. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Let us ask God to bless his word, read and preached. Our Father, we thank you for how clear uh, your A desire for us is. It's not wrapped up in mystery, but declared plainly before our eyes this day. And we ask that we will be able to say with Peter that we love our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Many of you probably have some idea of the the persecutions that went on in the early church. Uh, They were many and varied, and about 250 AD was the first sort of empire-wide persecution of Christians under the Emperor Decius. And uh, what had happened at this point, according to historians, is that uh, the Roman Empire was losing various battles as they sought to gain more and more territory. And they put the losing of these battles down to the fact that the gods were not on their side. And one of the reasons the gods were not on their side was because uh, more and more people were becoming Christians. And so they were turning their allegiance away from these gods who were supposed to help the Romans in battle to the one true living God. And so instead of saying Caesar is Lord and uh, following the various gods uh, that the Roman Empire said was okay to follow... The Christians would say, Jesus is Lord, and they would not follow these gods. So the Christians were blamed for military defeats. This then led to persecution of Christians in which there were different responses. So, for example, some Christians would simply acquiesce to the demands of the Romans, deny the faith, and apostatize. There were others who Uh, Didn't want to deny the faith, but they didn't want to be killed or persecuted, so they would buy these certificates that uh, showed them that they were uh, giving allegiance to Rome. So they would pay for certificates, and so they were were claiming to be Christians still in their heart, Uh, and of course, is that not what matters, right, the heart? uh, But then uh, they would have their certificates that they were good, faithful Roman citizens. And, of course, the faithful in the church were not impressed by that type of action. There were then, of course, many who would not uh, give in to the demands of the Roman Empire, and they would sometimes lose their life, or they would be fiercely persecuted. Now, in light of all this happening in the third century, uh, there were great questions and debates concerning what to do after the persecution died down with Christians who had... uh, shall we say, given over to their unbelief, wanting to come back into the church. And there was a sect called the Novatians who uh, said, no, 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 you're done. Uh, You proved faithless when you were counted on to be faithful. You're not allowed back in. Uh, There were other pastors who said, no, we welcome them back in. They can be restored And there were some pastors who said, well, uh, you need to show for a period of time now before we will fully restore you to the church, your faithfulness. And so there were various practices. Now, you can imagine that the story of Peter was paramount in terms of uh, people saying, well, if the great apostle Peter can deny our Lord and be restored, and this is the uh, section of Peter's restoration, then why can I also not be restored? And the question before us is whether Christians can be restored, and the answer is obviously yes, and we're given the example of Peter. Now, as uh, you see the text before you, it's not uh, complicated. There are three questions, and these questions arise in the context of Christ's ministry to Peter. Now, what do I mean by that? Well you will remember that Peter has made great and loud public boasts of his love for Christ, of his faithfulness, of his, shall we say, superiority to other disciples. And uh, this goes uh, all the way back to John chapter 13, uh, verse 37, and then Christ's response in verse 38. And Jesus speaks about leaving them, and Peter says that he will follow Jesus even if I have to die for you I will never forsake you though all men forsake you I will not forsake you Peter said he is loudly proclaiming his love for Christ is that not a great declaration of love for someone when you say I would lay down my life for you because Jesus actually said no greater love has a man than this than that he would lay down his life for his friends. So Peter is saying, I will lay down my life for you, Christ. That is how much I love you. Now, Jesus responds and he says, uh, Peter, this is the type of faith I like to see. Uh, but let's not get carried away, Peter. Why can't you just lead a few Bible studies Uh, You know, go to church and do some good things for the poor. Uh, Let's not get carried away with this laying down one's life, this extreme type of Christianity maybe Jesus could modify things a little and just say, come now, we're better than that. We don't need blood and guts and gore. We just need to say uh, that we're prepared to, to be good disciples. Jesus doesn't even do that. He actually says to Peter, oh, you will lay down my life for me. I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Three times. So when Jesus is asking questions, of course, we have to ask ourselves, why does Jesus persist with three questions? Remember, there were three denials. They begin in John chapter 18 that you read earlier. A servant girl, and she says, you are not one of these man, this man's disciples, are you? He says, no, I am not. He's gone from saying, I will lay down my life for you, such is my love for you, to saying, I'm not one of his disciples. Then Simon Peter is warming himself, and someone else Says to him, you are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it a second time and said, I am not. Now, a third time, one of the servants of the high priest, and you see how it actually gains in detail so that Peter has less and less excuse to say what he says. What do I mean by that? Well, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. In other words, it's getting very specific now. Someone would have heard, hey, wait a minute. I heard that uh, my relative's ear got cut off and then his ear was miraculously replaced. And what does he say? Did I not see you in the garden with him? It's not just a general sort of, hey, you're one of his disciples and maybe a few weeks or months ago, Peter was caught walking with the Lord. This is specific now to Peter with a specific moment in action. It Actually, the third denial is the worst of all. And he denied it. And he, as we read in the other Gospels, even uh, swore a curse upon himself. I don't know the man. And then the rooster crowed. So there's three denials. And here we have three questions. And the question begins with the words, Do you love me more than these? And we have to ask ourselves, Who or what are the these Is Jesus saying, Peter, do you love me more than you love the disciples? Now, I'm not really sure that's a very searching question that would need to be asked three times. And there's no contextual factors throughout the rest of the gospel that Jesus is really concerned quite about that uh, extent of love. Another has said that perhaps these could be the fishing equipment, the boat and the nets. Do you love me more than you love these, your livelihood? Do you love me more than your job? Now, before we brush that off so quickly, I think it is still a searching question, probably more searching actually than the first one, do you love me more than the disciples? In other words, Peter could easily say, oh, I love you more than I love these disciples, but... How many people can actually say they love the Lord Jesus Christ more than they love their livelihood? What gives them their identity in many respects? Some people, in fact many people, clearly would love their identity as Whoever they may be in their profession, more than they love Christ. So it is a searching question. I still don't think that's what he's asking. He is saying, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Now, why would he ask that? Because it goes back to Peter making that great boast that he loved Christ the most. He's drawing him into previous declarations so that he may draw out from him something very precious. Now, before we continue, I know what perhaps one or two or twenty of you may be thinking. Uh, We pay this man good money to pastor to us and preach, and uh, I hope he's been doing his uh, work on the Greek of uh, John chapter 21 and has come to this realization that I myself know that Jesus is now... um, doing something very peculiar with Peter, Jesus is saying in the first two questions, Peter, do you agapao me? Do you love me with the great intense form of love? And Peter can only bring himself to say in response, Lord, you know that I phileo love you. That is, I really like you. I admire you. But he can't bring himself to say, I agapao love you. So the second time he asks the question, Do you agapao? Do you really love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I really admire you. I like you. I phileo love you. And so the final time, the third question, Jesus finally condescends and says, Okay, okay, Peter, do you really like me? And Peter's like, Ah, that's it. This I can handle. And he says, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo so Christ begins with this great form of love and his restoration of Peter is so impressive that he actually ends up finding out Peter really likes him. Now, of course, you will remember that they did not speak Greek to each other. They would have spoken Aramaic. Uh, Secondly, you will also know that throughout John's Gospel, John does not use the words agapao and phileo with a higher and lesser form of love. It doesn't work that way. The reason I'm saying this is because I just don't want someone to leave here and I don't bring this up and they go, I just can't believe this guy. He missed it completely. The whole point of the passage. There are times where the father loves the son in John's Gospel and phileo is used. There are times where Jesus is speaking of his love for Lazarus and he'll interchange and use both words. He loves him with agapao and loves him with phileo. Now, some of you are probably thinking, yes, Mark, but what about the Septuagint? Right? You came in with that that weapon in your pocket. Yes, the Septuagint is also not going to help you out here because the Septuagint speaks of Jacob's love for Joseph and interchanges the two words for love. The point that most commentators have now made and is beyond dispute is that this is simply John using stylistic devices because he's not a boring writer. He's not a boring preacher. You know, some people who use the same word over and over and over and again. He's just being stylistic and he's trying to draw out something important. It's love. It's not a higher or lesser form of love. It's simply, Peter, do you love me? That's the issue. Do you love? Love me. And if he's going to build Peter back up and restore Peter to ministry, he needs to begin with the most fundamental aspect of Peter's relationship to Christ. Does he love him? And notice when Peter responds, he doesn't actually say, Lord, you know that I love you the most. More than any of these disciples do. He stopped those shenanigans and those games. Peter's been humbled to the dust with his denials. Now he's not going to say, oh yeah, I love you the most. And if everyone would forsake you, I will still remain faithful to you. Peter's not indulging in those types of games. He simply needs to say, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. And on the third occasion, Peter, we are told, is grieved. He's It's the word you would use for like sobbing. He is overcome with emotion. Probably, maybe, not as much emotion as Christ was when Peter denied him three times. But he is grieved. Because he fully understands, I think at this point, precisely why Jesus has had to ask him a third time. Do you think Jesus believed Peter the first time? Of course he did. Peter knows that. He says, Lord, you know. And Jesus did know that Peter really did love him. As much of a failure Peter could be, he still knew. Did Jesus know the second time? Yes. Did Jesus know the third time? Yes. But Peter, who perhaps hasn't had the assurance he needed, after Christ's resurrection is needing to be restored. Jesus comes and says to his disciples, Peace be to you. And it's a general sort of peace. But maybe Peter's living in such fear and such anguish over the fact that he had denied Christ not long before this, that he hadn't been fully settled in his emotional state, that Christ and him were good. And so Jesus, the pastor that he is, zeroes in on Peter and restores him graciously. Now, in light of the fact that Peter loves Christ, notice what Christ will say to him. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. He tells him three times, if you love me, this is what you will do. But it's not until you love me that you are in any position to do anything for me. This is a great problem sometimes in the church. Someone comes into the church. We don't even know if they're a Christian. They sit there for a while and the next minute they're doing something great in the church. No, no, no. You are in no position to do anything in this church or any church until it has been established that you love Christ. Because your service is not acceptable to Christ or to us if it does not proceed from love. Peter must feed the sheep. Why? Because he loves Christ. His vertical love for Christ is established by his horizontal love for Christ's people. That is how he will show he loves Christ. Jesus will say in Matthew 25 when he returns at the second judgment. And people will say, when did we see you thirsty? When did we see you hungry? And what is Christ's point to them? Christ's point is, you didn't need to see me thirsty or hungry The fact that you failed to show love to the least of one of these is a sign that you did not love me. And so Peter is told to feed, to tend, to care for the flock. And that is precisely what he does. Now, after the third question, Christ continues to speak in verses 18-19. to And it's quite solemn. Because now that Christ has established the, that Peter loves him, and listen carefully, it's as though Christ can say anything now in the world to Peter about what he will demand of him. And it's not until that love relationship has been established that Christ should be able to say these words. Now why do I say that? Well, he says, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, sometime in the future, Peter... You will stretch out your hands. That is a circumlocution for you will be crucified. You will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. How many times had Peter heard Jesus say, Take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And it's as though Jesus is saying, Peter, follow me. And you will end up one day taking up your cross. Now John tells us this is the case because in verse 19 he said, "This He said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Peter will write a few decades later, maybe about 30 years later, when he writes 1 Peter, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Peter will glorify God in his life, but he will also glorify God in his death. Now think about this. Jesus has just established To Peter and to himself that Peter loves him. And then Jesus says, you will minister with a death sentence hanging over your dead for as long as I allow you to minister. And your end will be crucifixion. You will imitate me not only in your life now as you preach the gospel, you will imitate me in your death. And Peter, because you love me, you can do that. And I can tell you that. You have to think how much Christ loved Peter to be able to tell him this. I was saying to a friend the other day, God must really love you to put you through this trial. How much did Christ love Peter that he was prepared to tell Peter, you will be a martyr one day because you will follow me. Now there are a number of points we can make in relation to this text. And I think uh, a few of them are are worth noting. The first is that this really does highlight, uh, in a certain sense, the types of people that exist in this world. And maybe we'll say there are three types of these people. The first group of people are those who actually don't know him. I don't even know the man. They're ignorant. Or they do not wish to know him. There's no sort of desire, no wish, no knowledge. They may be people living on far off lands. They may be living down the streets. They don't know Christ. They don't care to know Christ. They are ignorant of Christ. And so on. Just as Peter claims to say, I don't know the man, there are many who do not know Christ. But then, without tipping my hat to the erroneous Greek, there are a lot of people not only in the church, but also outside of the church, who do like Christ, who do admire Him, who think He is a a great teacher. And what really scares me is the category of people in the church who really like Christ, who like Him a lot, but don't love Him. And this becomes the great issue of our life. I, this week, very well known PCA church minister has to stand up and resign before his congregation. I've preached in the pulpit. I considered him a friend, uh, and he had to resign before his congregation. Uh, Because in 2014, and the details are not uh, agreed upon, but he admitted to an indecent picnic with a woman who is a deaconess and not his wife. And for uh, many years, this had not been publicly uh, confessed. And he had been preaching every single week about the glories of Christ, about the need for repentance, and, and all of these things. I heard him preach on divorce when I was there. And you see... Uh, finally he got caught out. And then a friend of mine who is also a minister on staff at this church said, you know what? Now that we know who the lady is, all of a sudden things are making sense. He was always going for car drives with her. They were always together. You'd think if you made a mistake by having a picnic with a woman that was not your wife in a park, and there are much more to the story and you do not need to know, that you would avoid such a woman at all costs for the sake of the ministry. Now, what's the real issue for this gentleman? What do you think the real issue is going to be now? The real issue is very simple. He has to ask himself, does he love himself more than he loves Christ? That's it. Or does he love Christ more than himself? Will he half repent or will he fully repent? Will he come clean and be washed by the blood of Christ and restored, maybe not to ministry, I don't think to ministry, but at least to the church and be a faithful servant as long as God has for him on earth? Or will he persist in his pride for the sake of His name? You see, that's really it for all of us. Who do we love more? Jesus or ourselves? Peter, when he denied Christ, loved himself more at that point. He looked out for himself. But Christ restores him. And the issue for you and me, before we can talk about service in the church, before we can talk about anything of that nature, is simply this. Do you love Christ? Not do you really admire Him? Not do you really like Him? Not are you thankful that Heaven is better than Hell? But do you love Christ to the point that you can say, I love Christ more than my own life? Because the context here shows me that Christ's call to Peter is a call to follow Him even to death for His sake. That's the type of love. It doesn't make any sense to say this is a lesser form of love when then Christ right after says you're going to be taken where you do not want to go and your hands will be stretched out but follow me anyway. And that's the issue for us today as Christians. Are we going to follow Christ at the expense of our own life should that be the case? Or are we happy to be respectable Christians going to Bible studies, going to church, giving to the needs, but only really admiring and liking Christ because when we are called to ask ourselves the question, will it be me or will it be Christ, we choose ourselves every single time. Christ is saying, trust me with your life and love me even if it costs you your life. Because the one who loses his life is the one who finds it. And the one who saves his life is the one who will ultimately lose it. Let's pray. O Lord, we thank you for your word and ask that you will help us to see that even if our love is not perfect, that we still love you. And that our love for you is a love that puts you first and not ourselves. Help us, O Lord, to uh, remember that when we put ourselves behind you and put you first and foremost, we are actually doing the very best for ourselves. And so we pray each and every one of us that we can say, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Before we come to the table,